Big Mac, Chicken McNuggets, no, Big Mac and Quarter Pounder with cheese, or filet fish You'd be doing the same thing if you were at McDonald's because you can choose not just one, but two of your favorites for just six bucks. Tasty Big Mac, crispy 10-piece Chicken McNuggets, juicy Quarter Pounder with cheese, or savory filet fish Enjoy two of your all-time favorites for just six bucks, if you can decide on the two. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hey, you're listening to Talks Exo Life, and I am your host, Sunaina. And in this edition, I will be conversing with Prashant Mehta, partner at Lightbox, a venture capital firm in Mumbai. Now, Prashant is also known as the endurance man. Why, you ask? Imagine pedaling from Mumbai to Pune and back, that's about 330 kilometers, for 13 hours. And no, don't run out of breath as yet. Then within the same week of pulling off that feat, trekking to the Everest base camp. Well, that is Prashant Mehta for you, ladies and gentlemen. So hold on as we begin unraveling this intriguing story of Prashant across various fronts. Born in Mumbai and having spent his growing years between India and Africa, Prashant studied biotechnology in the US, but ended up working for a bank, pursuing an MBA from Wharton School, after which he headed straight back to work for Lehman Brothers, which helped him understand the art of investing in emerging markets. He subsequently moved to Silicon Valley to head Yahoo's commercial operations for emerging markets. And after about a decade, moved back to Mumbai to head an advertising technology startup for five years before he surprised himself and became a venture capitalist. This is the highlight section of our conversation with Prashant Mehta, partner at Lightbox. To catch the full conversation, please do tune in to www.cxolive.com and listen to the entire conversation. It is worth it, guys. I was uh, about I was born in Mumbai, not far from here. And about less than a year later, uh, my parents decided to move to a small country in Africa called Zambia. All they knew was that it was the uh, the time of the copper rush that would create jobs and opportunities. And so we just picked up with probably less than about a thousand dollars in his pocket. We uh, decided to move out there. And you know, having spent three four years there, when it came time for uh, going to school. I think they were very clear that the schooling system there hadn't quite developed. Yeah. And so I was sent back here mm-hmm. to live with my granny, and, uh, who sort of started raising me um, when I was about uh, five, six years of age. She lived in a chow. But those four or five years with my granny, I think, probably started to lay the foundation for me. Mm-hmm. After that, I uh, sort of got kicked out of school and then was sent to a boarding school in uh, Panchkini. And I believe that those next three years probably had the single biggest impact on my life. And I think that has probably helped me not only live in all the different places that I've lived, but as we visit different countries and different mountains and regions, I think really helped me uh, understand people better. And so uh, after a few years mm. in boarding school, I went back to uh, Zambia. We moved to Texas, mm. a very small town outside of Houston. I was sent there alone. I moved there not knowing much about the U.S. I'd always played football yeah. in my life growing up. Got to the school. Um, Somebody announced, anybody interested in football, please show up. I showed up. Um, I found everybody twice my size. Um, and I thought, surely I can run faster than them. But eventually I realized that they were talking about a completely different game. 
Okay. It was American Pie. Right. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting now. Right. You know, how we mm. live together, you know, <laughs> but made some great friends there. It's very really interesting because um, in a lot of the things I do and I've come to love, I've also realized that um, some of those journeys you want to do on your own and some of them you want to have um, people you care for yeah. around you. A healthy balance of both, I think, is what continues to uh, sort of drive my passion and desire to continue to push the limits. In, in these sort of environments, um, some of them can be harsh, some of them are very nice, um, but you really get to learn a lot more about yourself and you also really get to appreciate life. And that, I think, for me at least, has been really important. I have really come to cherish the moments where I'm on my bike and or on a track. For about 13, 14 years, uh, I used to just bike or run. And one fine morning, a friend of mine came and said, um, I think we should sign up for an Ironman. And it was always, it's considered the hottest single day sport. Yeah. And I knew it was crazy because I didn't know how to swim. And, In the uh, ocean. I didn't know how to swim. And the deal was that he said, look, if you sign up, I'll teach you how to swim and you teach me how to bike. I thought, okay, well, that's fair. Mm. You know? And so uh, I signed up for my first uh, triathlon and it was in Nepal. Two and a half months before mm. this event, um, I realized that I, had, I couldn't swim more than 100 meters. And a couple of things he kind of helped me through just ease me to be able to breathe, which is one of the single most important thing in the water in particular. Mm. And since then, mm. these format of sports, <laughs> the triathlons are ones that I I have really come to enjoy. The last time uh, has been two years. Okay. I'd signed up for one last year, actually earlier this year in Jan. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I had suffered an ankle injury. Okay. About a month ago, I had to uh, oh. back out of it. Uh, I've got one coming up in uh, Turkey, mm -hmm. where a group of us are now going in a couple of months, uh, early November, so I'm really excited for that. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, it started when I got really ill mm -hmm. some 20 years ago. Doctors pretty much had given up on me. I was sort of going through a very hard time in life thinking, you know, why it's happening to me and all this stuff. And a friend of mine at the time came to me, um, it's actually my boss at the time, yeah. a guy by the name of Lawrence Kosick. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, man, you know, you heard of this guy, Lance Armstrong? I said, yep, I've read, mm -hmm. you know, I, I know who he is. He gave me his book. What had come out, obviously, was a story of, you know, surviving cancer and winning the Tour de France. He helped me get a bike and he said, let's go out and uh, let's do a ride. And in fact, the first ride we did together was uh, to sort of raise money for charity for uh, patients suffering from diabetes. And it was outdoors and I just really enjoyed it. Pretty much week after week, he kept pushing me. Before I knew it, we were taking part in, you know, 100 mile bike rides or races. And uh, I just, and this was mainly in California. From there, we started exploring different countries. Mm -hmm. I just then found it to be an incredible way to explore uh, people, food, culture, yeah. places. Yeah. And so I think it came about that way. And I think I found myself around uh, a bunch of crazy friends who get me to do really stupid things, <laughs> you know. So it was my idea to sign up for this Turkey Iron yeah. Half Iron Man. And so another of our friends said, which were, so we're part of this group called Worldly 545. After signing up for this event, he goes, oh, 
well, we're all going to be in Turkey and uh, we're on the coast. Why don't we ride along the coast and do our annual bike ride? So like I, we have this thing, the family where I go on a, to a place where we've never been before. Um, as a group, we also try to go for one bike ride, even a bike ride, mm. a long bike ride, mm. day in and day out. It is sort of, for me at least, reflective of life and the kind of undulating roads and hills that you have to go over and think about, you know, how are you going to sustain yourself? We have to be ready for many unknowns. It's not the wilderness, of course. Yeah. So I, I find that there are so many lessons from what you have to think, how you have to prepare yourself, mm. and then the journey itself. I think there are a couple of places in Mumbai you can cycle, but unless you get out, pretty much by seven, right. it's a complete zoo. For training, you want to be on the bike for two hours, two, three hours. Mm. So we typically get out by 5.30, quarter to six, mm. and we'll ride till about 7.30. So you get about two hours, one and a half to two hours in. When we do ride, it'll be usually on Marine Drive to early sea face and back, yeah. um, and then maybe up and down uh, the uh, Valkeshwar right. hanging garden area. And so one of the things that this group does outside of adventure is really every couple of years we have a mission to kind of be good, do, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and get back. Okay. Every two, three years we'll organize a charity ride. And historically, it's been for an organization called St. Jude's, mm -hmm. uh, which is just an incredible group of people that uh, help kids, underprivileged kids that are suffering from cancer. Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, now maybe three, yeah, a little over three years ago um, was our last ride um, that we did, which was a uh, Delhi-Bombay ride. Um, and it was a... Uh, Delhi-Bombay. Delhi-Bombay, to um, 1,500 kilometers. We had a goal of getting it done in 60 hours. And, uh, and that's what we did. Huh. And, you know, and we raised uh, over, uh, I want to say maybe three and a half crores. A couple of years before that, we did a Bombay-Puna-Bombay ride. I think the next one we're looking to do is a K2K. Bombay Puna Bombay ride, I thought was uh, really pushed the edge because it was just three of us doing it. Mm. We made a decision and then we had six weeks to train. And that's at 330 kilometers, uh, Bombay Puna Bombay. Yeah. We did 50 kilometers. Week after that, we did 70 kilometers. Mm -hmm. The next week, we did 95 or 100. And, and we basically um, got up to 240 or, or thereabouts mm -hmm. uh, the week before. And then we had to basically launch our actual ride where we ended up you know, covering a distance of 330 mm -hmm. kilometers. Our goal was to, uh, this had to be a night ride. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost impossible to do this kind of ride during the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, traffic, yeah. pollution, all of it. The insanity that we all know our roads are. And so we started at 7 p.m. Yeah. And we got back at 8 a.m. For me, that yeah. ride kind of said, I think anything is possible. There were moments on that ride where I was asking myself, why? Why? I don't need to do this. I can get in a car, get a night's sleep, you know, come back and finish it. But um, this was one of our first big rides for the, for the charity. And I think that uh, what pushed us to do that was visiting St. Jude's and seeing those two-year-olds, you know, suffering from cancer. I think the clarity of why we were doing that ride brought us all back and made sure that we never lost track of our purpose. Five days after I finished that ride, I had planned to um, trek to Everest Base Camp. Wow, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what I did. Mm -hmm. 
I think that was just a uh, kind of insane two weeks for me. We'd never done something like this where we had a goal to write continuously, nonstop. And, uh, and I had set that agenda. And I think all my friends thought I was nuts for setting a nonstop agenda. So think about like a relay team. Um, we had to set, we'd set a goal of leaving Delhi at 7 p.m. again, mm-hmm. getting back to Mumbai about 60 hours. And I think we were maybe off by about 20 minutes or less. In the first couple of hours, you're fighting your body. Do I want to do this? Is it going to, do you have the strength? Have I gotten the nutrition? All of those things. Beyond a certain point, it is all about your mind. And that's what you're fighting. Either having to remind yourself of what's the purpose. Mm. Because your body is saying, get off that seat. It, it really just wants you off that bike. There is some, in a dark way, some pleasure, you know, in, in knowing that you can push yourself uh, that hard and still come out okay. I think that for sure mentally, I know I can put myself through a lot more pain than I ever thought possible. But the only thing I would kind of maybe change it or say differently is that um, at the end of that journey, you really feel that you've accomplished something. And I think that's what motivates me. We've ridden through Thailand, we've done Italy, I've done France. Those days when they're going, it's very interesting. Mm. When the going gets tough on those days, mm. I am more than happy or likely to call the van and say, I'm, I'm done for today. Mm. But when there's a mission, none of us failed the mission. Mm. None of us. And literally at any given point, all of us will suffer, but we're very clear. Biking in, in, through the streets of India, I think reflect the true sort of chaos and opportunity mm-hmm. this country has all at the same time. You just need to be so alert and aware of every little sound and every element of your surrounding. I love the water, but I couldn't swim. Mm-hmm. And so today, uh, because I've now gotten, I'm no expert swimmer, but I've got enough confidence. But so it's, it's built a lot of confidence in me. Uh, in something I was always, I just love water. Uh, and now I'm actually able to enjoy water. Um, running has probably been a lot harder. I'm just uh, I'm not a fast runner and I always find that it just takes me a lot longer to uh, get to the next stage of the distances that I want to cover. So uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to fight that battle better. One of the things that I'm looking to do is explore more of the running off-road, do a lot of cross-country type running. Um, which I think might suit my mm-hmm. style more. I do something on average five to six days a week. I feel like I have to. Mm-hmm. It helps me clear my mind and gives me my perspective that I need. When we have an event coming up, then, you know, depending on what we're sort of training for, you kind of work backwards. Mm-hmm. You start about two to three months, three months before, mm-hmm. and, uh, and work towards that goal. And then every week, you would try to increase your time uh, and once you get enough time, then you start increasing your speed and strength and uh, till, you know, a week or so before the event. I'm obsessive about thinking about my dad. In my mind, I'm planning, okay, this week, everyday salads, boiled eggs every morning. But, you know, inevitably, nothing better than a good underpower or something, you know, first thing in the morning after my workout. So I try, but I think it's hard. I used to be maniacal about it, but I realized that 
I wasn't having fun and people around me were having, having fun. I'm still absorbing all the things around me, but uh, in trekking, it, it has lots of challenges. Sure. Right. And you can make it as easy or as hard as you want. Yeah. Of course, when I went with my daughter to Annapurna, my concern was whether she'd be able to manage yeah. through and how I would deal with if she, the first day, had, first day on the trek, I carried all the load. Most of it, at least, she just had a small bag. Um, and she was keeping up fine. Day two, she's always walking a few steps ahead of me, so I thought, okay, she's going to be okay. By day four, she was at least 100 meters ahead of me. Um, and I realized that actually I'm the one that was having to keep up with her. Mm-hmm. After the first couple of days, I think we really started pushing the boundaries there. Right. I, I grew boarding up, school. I mean, I went to boarding school in Panjkini. Yeah, right. I wouldn't say that was a big mountain, but, you know, it was a hill. And then when we moved eventually to the U.S., I did a lot of skiing. Okay. which is always in the mountains. Yeah. And, uh, and then I just started reading a lot of books on mountaineering, okay. starting with that unfortunate Everest disaster that happened there. in 96. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and since then, uh, I want to go back more and I want to go higher more. Sometimes I feel like I want to go all the way to the top. I've known people that have died. Also, knowing now what I know and what I've learned, so much of life up there is not in your control. You can be the strongest, the most experienced, sure. but just anything can happen. If you're going to do it, do it the right way. And then that most people could not, cannot do. I think it's just made me reflect on life, which is not always perfect, and uh, allowed me to kind of just get over things. You know, I think while I wouldn't say that I have, uh, I'm where I want to be, but I'm pushing myself to reflect on those journeys, mm. on those experiences, to try to focus on things that matter. So I try. I think I'm a long ways from where I need to be, mm. but I try to reflect on my times up in the mountain or on the bike or in the water to sometimes not get worried or bogged down about things that don't matter. I do try to figure out what is there burning desire like what is fueling their fire mm. you know everybody right. has a different fuel so I try to figure out that attribute mm. I think the other thing is that uh, patience I think it's something that we've all lost but if you have it I think you can have an insane amount of advantage I look at sort of three things you know one is the opportunity it's not market size and the business model and all of that second is sort of an instinct and third is the leadership, the founder, uh, and the team. A lot of people think about the foundering team and the market opportunity from a business model, size, product, all of this. And then they kind of do the math through the spreadsheets. I think for for me at least, instincts play a much bigger role on whether, and it's not an instinct of whether this is going to work or not, but really an instinct of whether you can build a really strong relationship with the founder and ultimately build trust. Because like in any relationship in life, personal or professional, we go through phases, you know. And unless you feel confident that you can actually work together, work through things together and get across that bridge, it is it is really important or equally important as in our personal lives to just have that sense of, you know, is this going to work with this person? Because you'll go through changes, 
and ups and downs, and um, and we know that, mm-hmm. and and therefore our ability to be able to um, sit and have a conversation like this, um, mm-hmm. I think it's really important. I feel that when I have made decisions in the past that were more um, constructive in nature and using data and yeah. spreadsheets and more logical, that the outcomes won't necessarily add up, they add up at the end. When we invested in this company called Rebel, right. you know, uh, I had no idea about this aspect of JD, but JD was a climber. Okay. I found out a few years later. Okay. And uh, in fact, he's inspiring me to now actually yeah, climb, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, but I had no idea. But what's mm-hmm. interesting now that I'm thinking backwards mm-hmm. is that somewhere that attribute of his mm-hmm. was bringing out the qualities that perhaps resonated with us. But I, I had no idea until no two and a half years later, <laughs> one fine day, he said, listen, I want to take off 10 days to go on a trek. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> Finally, somebody that I've that has a similar interest as me. So I don't expect anybody else to have those same things because everyone has got their own thing. That I think people should have something, you know, something that they are so deeply passionate about besides work. First of all, I don't think we have great work-life balance here. I think that everybody has a different clock, inner clock that allows them to be focused and think about the ideas and think about the energy they need to kind of get through the things they need to do. Some people have it continuously. Some people need to take uh, more breaks than others. And so I think there is no one standard. I would just say that having flexibility in life to figure out what works for you is probably the work-life balance that one should try to strive to achieve. I'm fortunate that today I have that flexibility. I'm an idiot because I don't think I use it enough. I think a lot of us can do what we want to do that day if we wanted to. I think many of us actually have that fortune. Very few of us actually act on it. I'm not acting on it as much as I should. And so I think to me, I'll have achieved, I'll have felt success when I actually know that if today morning I got up and I said, you know, I'm going to go for a three-hour bike ride or I'm going to go meet somebody at work but not have to feel that I have to follow a schedule. I think for me, that would be just have the freedom to to do what they want to do. I think very unpredictable. I was a biochemist in college. Mm. Thought I was going to go to medical school. I helped start a bank. Didn't end up going to medical school. I went to MBA for finance, got a job in finance, thought I was going to forever be in finance. Moved to California to work for Yahoo. I never thought I would uh, move back to India. We moved back. When we did move back, I thought we were going to be here for three years. It's been 10 years. Um, And I certainly never thought I'd ever be a venture capitalist. And I I personally, I never felt that I uh, would be able to do the things I'm doing uh, on my bike and and all of those things. So, but I feel very fortunate for that. I'm trying to uh, clear up the canvas and, you know, (laughs) uh, paint different pictures when I can. I feel like I'm starting to get a little bit better at it. But uh, like I said, I don't don't think I have that true freedom yet. Never stop learning. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.